Well, it's noon here in Ventnor City, New Jersey, and in, well, Ventnor City, New Jersey. And this is news that you can use from Car Edge with your hosts, Zach, that handsome-looking fella uh, in my kitchen, and me, Ray. How are you today, handsome? And and welcome back to... You're not really here. (laughs) I teleported, man. I teleported. It took me a second there, but I teleported. Good morning. Happy Monday, Pops. How are you? I I am well. I, I have to get me a Car Edge shirt. Who who do I have to know? You got to talk to someone. Dad, let's kick things off today. We had really interesting data come from Cox Automotive this morning that I would like to start out with. We are going to be talking about a lot of credit indicators today, both delinquencies and also indirect auto loans, uh, excuse me, indirect auto lending, which is sadly falling by the wayside. More and more lenders are pulling out. But the big, I don't want to call it breaking news, but I think you could make a case that it's breaking news. This came out of Cox Automotive's weekly auto industry update. Let me read this to you right here, Dad. Auto loan performance deteriorated in August, with delinquencies and defaults both increasing month over month. These 60-plus day delinquencies increased for the fourth month in a row and were up 14.6% year over year. In August, 1.85% of auto loans were severely delinquent, that was up from July's 1.77% rate, and that was the highest July date uh, rate, excuse me, dating back to at least 2006. Now, Dad, the subprime auto loan delinquency rate is 7.17%, an increase from 6.9 in July, 6.9% in July, and the highest August rate dating back to at least 2006. The subprime severe delinquency rate was 79 basis points, so nearly whole percent, that'd be 100 basis points, higher year over year, while the aggregate was 20 basis points higher. That says to me, Dad, yes. I'll, you know, I'll, hit the, I'll hit the final number that's really like, whoa. Defaults, however, increased in August after declining in July. Auto loan defaults in August were up of shocking 74.6% year over year. This data is alarming, and it speaks to the fact that those that have subprime or poor credit they are falling behind on their auto loans at a significantly greater rate than those that have different credit scores, higher credit scores, historic levels of auto loan delinquencies and defaults, Dad. You know, um, I'm, I'm trying to think of a nice way to say this. There's, there's a reason that they have subprime credit, okay? There's a reason that the only place they can go for an auto loan is through a subprime credit source, And that reason would be is that historically they have not handled their credit obligations in the past very well. So it comes as no surprise whatsoever that people who have have a proclivity to not handling their credit well are well not handling their credit well now. I mean, why why would we suspect? That those who have a history of not being able to to handle their previous credit obligations the way they were supposed to be handled, why would we think for an instant that suddenly their changed people and and their their habits, their spending habits are, have have changed in such a way that that suddenly they're going to handle those obligations in a manner that would be equivalent to those who have done that historically in the past. That's one of the storylines, and you're right. You're right. The other would be the access to credit that those folks had over the past two years when, 
at the same exact time car prices appreciated, which is not what they're supposed to do. And when loan to value ratios, which hopefully you can explain here in just a moment, went from, I don't know, if someone's in a subprime category, maybe they would lend 90% of loan to value. You had to put money down to 120, 130, 140, 150%. You can blame this on the individual who took on a debt load that they traditionally hadn't been able to service and now have proven they can't service. You can also point the finger debt at the banks who enabled this because that is the other storyline. Now, those same banks that wrote uh, auto loans that are going delinquent are pulling out of the auto lending space. Like, shocking news, they're losing money on auto loans that they wrote, and now they're pulling out. I mean, there's two sides of this story, I guess, is the point. I'd well, I, I, I believe we have stated in the past, or if I, I have stated in the past, that when banks have altered their lending practices in regards to loan-to-value ratios, and what a loan-to-value ratio is, is if a vehicle has a loan value of $10,000, if if a bank were to lend 100% against the loan value, they would loan $10,000. If they were going to loan 150%, they would they would write a loan for $15,000 knowing that $5,000 worth of that loan has no collateral behind it. So yes, when banks start lending at 120, 130%, 140% loan-to-value ratios, they are complicit in the problem, especially if they've changed their lending practices for people who historically have been subprime borrowers to where in the past they might have said, we'll loan 80, 85, 90%. You know, so if somebody was buying a $10,000 car, Subprime lenders in the past might have said, okay, we'll lend them $9,000. They have to come up with the difference plus their taxes and tags. Today, they might be saying, even though we know they have a poor credit history, we'll lend them $12,000. So when they do that, yes, they are absolutely complicit in this. And as used car values continued to go up when they traditionally would have been going down, the banks were complicit in allowing the dealers to continue to charge more and more and more and secure that extra amount with, well, air. So, yeah, banks are complicit. They're, they're part of the problem. Dealerships are part of the problem. Um, consumers who have had a, a suspect credit history at best are definitely part of the problem. And there is a certain level of responsibility on the borrower to say, I don't think I can really afford this, or I don't think this would be in my best interest. Definitely. So, you know, we, we keep trying to find ways to absolve people of their own personal responsibilities. And that's something that in today's world, People need to be taking greater responsibility for what they do and looking more closely at what it is they're about to get themselves into. No disagreement from me on that one, Pops. I think you are spot on. That being said, the current subprime loan delinquency rate, auto loan delinquency rate, the latest data, yes, 7.17%. When you look at, at other organizations, for example, Dad, I'll pull up on the screen, this data that we're about to look at comes from Fitch, the rating company. Okay. 
Yeah. August 2019 was the prior peak that they reference here for subprime delinquencies. 5.93%. We are not a little bit over the, the record. We are significantly over the prior peak in subprime delinquencies. Look at the chart. We had someone in the, in the chat ask us, Dad, here it was from M. Bynum. Or maybe it's also folks with high credit scores that are also getting repoed. Are there statistics showing the vehicle repo based on credit score? Here we go. Auto loan delinquency. Yes. Prime. Subprime. You've got two axes here, folks. The left axis is from 0 to 1%. The right axis is from 0 to 6%. The blue line is on the left axis. Okay, the current delinquency rate for prime loans, the latest data that Fitch had from July, was 0.24%. Okay? Yeah. It's those who, who shouldn't have been getting approved for auto loans over the past couple of years, but they did get approved. Yes. Who are now going delinquent at a materially higher rate than they had been previously and a materially higher rate than those that have prime credit. The divergence looks like it happened, Dad, in 2012, okay? You, they, these two lines used to map each other you know, yes. pretty well. And look what's happened. Those with subprime credit have found themselves deeper in debt and unable to pay for it. And at the same exact time, the other part of today's conversation is going to be talking about financial institutions that are choosing... Whoops, where'd it go here? Get out of here, Ad. BMO to close indirect retail auto finance business. It's not just them. We had Fifth Thirds Bank earlier this year decide that they were going to get out of the auto uh, indirect auto business. We had earlier this year, citizens say that they were going to get out of the indirect auto uh, business. Then we have people who have poor credit going delinquent at historic rates. Yes. And no one, I mean, we talk about it, obviously, but no one seems to care about the potential impacts that those people are going to be so hard pressed now with these lenders pulling out to ever go buy another car. But, but the lenders that are pulling out, and the latest one was Bank of Montreal. Okay, they 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 weren't lending to the subprime borrower. Okay, they were lending to to the mainstream prime type borrowers, and for whatever reasons, they've decided that that's too risky even for them at this point, and they want to they want to put their resources elsewhere. Which is a polite way of saying that there's other ways for them to lend money to make more money than what they're doing in the automotive sector. So they're just trying to maximize the bank's profits and in, in in getting a greater return on on investments and money lent. So it the 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 subprime segment with even historically high or significantly higher delinquency rates. The only thing I can think of is that people like uh, Westlake Financial and um, um, what is it, the American Credit, what, uh, Credit American, Acceptance Corporation? What was it? Credit Acceptance Corporation. Yes, and 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 those others that fall into that category. There is a significant enough spread in what the money costs them and what they are charging these people that they know a substantial percentage who will go bad. But the spread is big enough that they are still profitable and it still makes sense for them to do it. Yeah. Okay. What has to change is, is partially 
the subprime lenders lending the money in the first place. But more importantly than that, is the subprime borrower agreeing to these terms, knowing full well that they're almost usurious in nature and that they are going to have great difficulty in maintaining the payments at the level that is required to keep the loan in good standing. It still comes back to personal responsibility. Now, perhaps, ultimately, it really goes back to education and and teaching people maybe back in high school how all this works and how all this can impact your ability to borrow money in the future. So if you don't have a basic understanding of that, then you can find yourself in the position that many subprime borrowers are in at the moment. But it still comes down to to taking your own personal responsibility. And if you don't know something saying, well, I want to learn about it so I can have a better understanding. It's, you know, we try to, to, to take on the position that we're going to help you as much as we can. We are going to help educate you as much as we can. But but as the customer, you have to have the desire to be educated prior to allowing yourself to fall into some of these traps. So I'm off my soapbox for the moment, but there's there's we can blame the banks all we want, but it still comes down to to an individual taking responsibility for their own actions, good, bad or indifferent. We got from Robert, the 2008 mortgage bankers have moved to auto loans with the same results. It does feel a little bit similar. That being said, there are all sorts of charts that can demonstrate mortgage delinquencies versus auto loan delinquencies. And that chart for mortgage delinquencies from way back when, Robert, it went like this. And came back down. Auto loans are going up, especially for subprime, but it's not this massive spike like we saw in 08. Let's give Barry a quick shout out here. Dad, daughter bought a Mazda at $3,200 under MSRP with an AR, um, an average, an APR, excuse me, of 0.9%. That is... Yes, nicely done to uh, Barry's daughter. Congratulations, Barry's daughter. Igor here with us on a Monday. We appreciate seeing you here. Excuse me, Igor. Last week on Friday, I went to the New England Mannheim auto auction and bought 11 cars. Five of those 11 were repos and Igor saying, Zach, I have direct contacts at Chase Bank who are telling me that their holding facilities are overstocked with repossessed vehicles and reporting they are slowed to do is only for the cars they sold at auction. Um, We know that the repo business is booming because we have seen um, financial institutions come out with huge incentives to actually get the contracts with the co- with the repo uh, uh, companies to actually go repossess vehicles. I mean, there are bonuses, yes. significant yes. bonuses out there right now, and that's a direct result of so much demand for those that are in the space. I want to pull this comment here, Dan, from John. Thank you, John. Even with a 10% write-off rate, so charge-off rate, I can yes. definitely see Carvana-type outfit getting into the buy-here, pay-here model. The profits are huge in this end of the market. If I'm not mistaken, Dad... Yes. Pretty sure Carvana is in the buy here, pay here space. They're just like they're like drive time with 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 makeup on, right? Yeah, well, well, they yeah they they are drive time with makeup on, but drive time was more of a buy here, pay here situation than Carvana. I mean, Carvana is trying to do their best to to be one or two steps above drive time. Um, 
And they own Drive Time, to be to be clear. Carvana is owned by the Garcia family. The Garcia family also owns Drive Time. Drive Time is this buy here, pay here. I, I, I think the reality of the situation is <clears throat> that Carvana is not really in the used car business per se. They are in the financing business. Okay. They the reason they sell cars is so that they can create loans. And then they can sell those loans off. That's one of the ways that they make their money. In the past, before suddenly they 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 found a way to make money on used cars, um, they used to have the lowest profit per used car retailed of any of the major public brands. Okay, their money was made on financing, and and then suddenly in the last. Eight, nine, ten months. They 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 figured out how to double uh, their gross profit or triple their gross profit per car um, beyond what even those in in the space had higher gross profits than Carvana in the past. Beyond those, um, so I you know I don't know what's going on with Carvana as far as how they're accounting for all this, but they. They're really only in the used car business so that they can be in the loan origination business. 100%. That is spot on. Dad, we have here from Michael, and then we're going to pull up another comment from Michael, and then we will switch gears here and talk about a little good news that happened last week from Michael Acevedo. Thank you for the comment. Admittedly, I am seeing a lot of relatively new 2022 plus vehicle loans in bankruptcy court. It's almost as though many of these borrowers just get the vehicle or vehicles knowing they can't pay. I mean... Yeah, they also had stimulus money in their pockets, maybe burning a hole, like got to find a way to spend it. The flex culture, we talked about that a lot last year, Dad. This is this is good anecdotal evidence of what's going on out there. Yeah, this is this is more evidence that people need to take personal responsibility for the things that they sign up on. We have a 100% free out-the-door price calculator. Just log in, go to caredge.com, and you can click on this little advanced tab and then fill in all of your loan information. This is a good resource to look at before you go car shopping so that you can figure out what you can actually afford. Again, just Google search CarEdge, out-the-door price, and it will take you here to that calculator. Let's come here to Michael. Dad, thank you for the contribution, Michael. Thank you, Michael. What happens when manufacturing companies say it's more profitable not to manufacture? And as the American fleet increases in age, won't we be forced to buy new vehicles? We can't keep used cars running forever. I think this is likely uh, tying back a little bit with what's going on with the UAW strike right now. Well, um, let me let me say that apparently you haven't been to Cuba recently or you haven't read about Cuba, but they're driving American cars that were built in the 50s and 60s. Um, and they figured out how to keep those damn things running. Um, so, yes, we could keep vehicles running longer if we so choose. Um, I, I think manufacturing companies tend to be most profitable when they are, well, manufacturing things. Um, so the problem, as, as I've stated it, is that they're manufacturing fewer vehicles because fewer Americans can actually afford to buy new cars. You know, I, I keep saying that they're manufacturing cars for the 40% of the population that might actually be able to afford the car. And they're forgetting about the other 60% of the population that can no longer afford a car. I think part of the issue has to be, how do we figure out 
how to build more affordable cars so that more people could actually be in the market for a new car uh, and that they could comfortably make the payments on each month. You know, when when nearly 20% of all auto loans that are entered into now have a payment of a thousand dollars, a monthly payment of a thousand dollars or higher, well, that that rules out a huge swath of the population. We need to figure out how to have a much higher percentage than that, where the payments are in the three to four hundred dollar a month range, or the two to three hundred dollar a month range, so that people could actually afford to buy a new vehicle if and when they need one. Well, let me show you the good news, Dad. This is the good news. Yay, I'm looking for good news. The estimated typical new car monthly payment, this came from KBB, Kelly Blue Book, increases to $760. But this is good news, Dad, because the median income grew by 0.3% and the average new vehicle transaction price only increased 0.6%. Well, so there you go. It still increased more than the income grew. <laughs> yeah, but dad, it only went up a dollar from July, right? So like we're down from the peak, which was December, $795 a month was the average payment, new car payment for it. So like things are getting, you know, rose colored glasses, dad. We're yeah, no, things, are getting the th things are getting materially better. Yeah, here you go. New vehicle affordability in August was modestly better than a year ago when prices were only slightly lower, but interest rates were more than two percentage points lower. So yeah, it's like yeah. Let let, let me let me know let me know when that number drops down to like four fifty. Okay, it's not going back there. Well, I know, which means that that truly sixty or sixty five percent of the population in this country will not find themselves in the market for a new car because it is unaffordable, which makes it unattainable, in my opinion. <laughs> in his opinion. Thank you for the contribution, Drew. Ideas why a 2023 with 13 miles would be sold as a used car, not even CPO, just used despite being for sale at the OEM dealership seems sketchy. I think you know exactly why this could be happening, Dad. It's, it's not sketchy at all. It's that... They want to be able to charge more than MSRP. And as a used car, you don't have to have a, an addendum label that says market adjustment at $10,000. You just have an asking price. That's why it's done. So, you know, a used car doesn't require a, a Monroney label. A new car does. So if you see a new car that has an MSRP of $37,495, and an addendum label next to it that says additional deal or markup or market adjustment, $10,000, you know, you're going, well, I'm just paying $10,000 for air. But if you see a used car, it doesn't have a window sticker. You just see it's $47,495. You don't know about that extra 10 grand. That's why they do it. There's nothing sketchy about it. It's just a way to, to get around having the, to put an addendum label that says market adjustment or, or um, additional dealer markup. Pops, let's switch gears and let's do our favorite segment of the show. Uh, really? You're quite here. No, really? You got to be kidding me. Well, I love the haircut, buddy. I mean, it looks really good. 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. AutoNation Hendrick Automotive Top Online Reputation Survey. That is not the really, you got to be kidding me. What is, is when you scroll down, Hendrick Automotive has snagged the top ranking among privately owned dealership groups for the three, for three straight years, while AutoNation marks its second year atop public auto retailers in reputations ranking and Mitsubishi and Infinity outranked other brands. Here's where this becomes really, you've got to be kidding me. This is the consumer yeah. sentiment reputation rankings. Okay. Yes. Top five private U.S. dealership groups. Hendrick, great. West Her, great. Ken Ganley, great. Holman, great. I saw Napleton here. And I'm not singling out Napleton for, for any bad reason, with the exception of it was just last year. <laughs> that they paid a $10 million fine? I mean, it, it was literally one year ago. It was August of 2022. It, it was, I think it was the, the record. Yeah, it says it right there. FTC takes action against multi-state auto dealer Napleton for sneaking illegal junk fees onto bills and discriminating against black consumers. Napleton Auto will pay a record-setting $10 million in case brought jointly with the state of Illinois. How can you yes. have in your top five list, we're talking about the top five private U.S. dealership groups for the reputation survey, for Easy. 2023, Easy. And, and your number five is the one that paid the record-setting FTC fine last Easy. year. Easy. It's called advertising. It's called manipulating your perception of the dealer through advertising. Okay? It is, there are billions upon billions upon billions of dollars spent every year in this country to create falsehoods about products or about um, merch. This is all your opinion, by the way. Let's just in my opinion, in my, opinion. in my opinion, because we don't want to get sued. So, in my opinion, okay, there are billions of dollars being spent to create these false narratives about certain products and certain retailers in this country. It is all. That's just all BS. Okay. It is, it is, it, it's advertising agencies spend a ton of money to understand how to manipulate people. Okay. How to, how to tug at their heartstrings, how to, how to just play to their emotions. And that's what this is. So a dealership group like Stapleton in the Napleton. mind of the public, I mean, Napleton, uh, in the mind of the public, can have a relatively high reputation score is based on all the things, the, the way Napleton advertises to create that public image. It has nothing to do with how they don't live up to that image that they've created when you actually go into their dealerships to buy something. Okay. So a lot of these things, it's just based on on falsehoods, okay? It's just based on nonsense. We we can emotionally create a feeling, a good feeling towards a company that might not necessarily be a good company, that might not necessarily act in the, in the consumer's best interest. So, hey, God bless those advertising agencies that come and, and approach these dealerships and say, hey, we can make you look good. Okay, we can put lipstick on this pig and make you look really good, even though maybe you're not. 
We have, I'll simply mention, um, the the team is working on behind the scenes Car Edge dealer reviews. That'll be our crowdsource community dealer reviews. Super excited about that. That'll be launching probably in a month, maybe a little bit sooner. It's a lot of work that goes into making sure. Can it's I say one yeah. other thing in regards to that? Because the the other public group you said was that ranked the highest was was Hendrick. Hendrick, yep. Yeah, that's that's the same guy who was convicted for for um, bribing um, Honda sales managers, regional managers, wow. zone managers, district managers in order to get Honda product when it was harder to get. OK, he was convicted of that, I believe, wow. in the 90s. OK, uh, Mr. Hendrick himself didn't have to go to jail because he was in ill health. Um, wow. Amazing when when the jail term got set aside that suddenly his health got better, um, you know, but that's besides the point that. But so, I mean, there's a situation where where they've got this great reputation and the guy's a convicted. I don't know if he's a convicted. He was convicted of bribery. OK, of of use, using funds to influence um, how zone managers, district managers got him a product when others couldn't. <sighs> That's why we call sounds this like, segment. Sounds like a nice man. That's why we okay. call this segment, really, You've Got to Be Kidding Me. Yeah, it's, yeah you got to be. Fits the theme perfectly. All right, we will be back tomorrow. We'll have a used car market update. You better betcha that we will be doing all sorts of experiments on tomorrow, tomorrow's show. We have seen those trade-in offers through the roof and then also coming back down a little bit. I'm having so much fun with that. You can test it yourself, caredge.com slash sell. But tomorrow will be a new, excuse me, a used car market update with the latest black book data for today, Dad. Yeah. Enjoy your afternoon. That's my plan. I love you very much. And I look well, forward to seeing you later. I, I love you too. I, I don't know if I'm going to be enjoying my afternoon at 2.15. I'll be getting a, a flu shot and a COVID booster shot. I'll get one in each arm so that regardless of what side I sleep on tonight, it's going to hurt. Um do them both in, in the same arm. I think that's the right move. Well, they got to be a couple inches apart. Otherwise, it really hurts. Uh, but but last November, when I got them in the same arm in the same time, I didn't have any issues. So I'm hoping I won't have any issues today. And and that way, I can be healthy um, when we travel to, to Detroit. Uh, yeah. To Detroit yeah. on Thursday. Smart man, smart man. All right, everyone, we will see you tomorrow. Pops, thanks for your time and talk to you soon. Thank you, handsome. I'll, I'll see you tomorrow at noon Eastern, 9 Pacific, 8 a.m. in Anchorage, 6 a.m. in Honolulu. And uh, we have no idea what time it'll be in, in Hong Kong for all of our uh, friends in Hong Kong that might be watching the show.